Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. I am the, I don't want to say better looking, but different looking Chris co-host, Chris Jardy, a.k.a. Snaggle J. As always, I've got the best wingman in the business, Chris Doyle. What's going on, buddy? Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. You are the co-host that can grow the better beard. Uh, I, I definitely would concur with that statement. Yes. Yeah. I can't grow the beard. I can't do it. Uh, it happens. I mean, mm-hmm. like at this point, uh, it is wildly out of control. I don't think I've done any beard maintenance in like four months. I've essentially like most people during the pandemic, I've given up. I just, at this point, I'm going to grow it out until it just gets to the point where I hate it so much and I'm going to shave it off. And then, and then that's when I'm going to do my big heel turn, right? Like classic, you know, change your look, heel turn, uh, that like, I'm, I'm going to coordinate those two events together, I think. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of out you on something we, that we kind of talked about on Facebook or then is it almost time snaggle to, as one of my guys I look up to in media, Bomani Jones has said, is it time to come home and shave the head with the back? Listen, so here's the thing. I am, as I've gotten older, and I mean, I don't mind discussing it, but I'm in last year of my 30s at this point. The the old, uh, the old mountaintop has been uh, getting a little thinner. And it's, it's starting to become a little bit annoying more than anything else. Uh, I have always traditionally been a guy that I just keep my head like buzzed really short. Um, and I mean, I wear a lot of hats, right? Like I'm, I'm a hat guy. The only reason why I like the buzz is because obviously, you know, when you're in an office building, professional setting, I don't have to comb my hair. I don't have to worry about it. It looks okay. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be like a straight up big shave guy. Maybe at some point when I'm rocking like the really big horseshoe up there, uh, I might consider it. But for now, I think I'm going to stick with the, the shave and it's short. But once we get into like late 80s, early 90s Hulk Hogan territory, uh, I may have to reconsider uh, picking up a 10-pack of Bix and doing it that way. You're not... I, I, I will say right now that if... I will call you out if you get a scullet. <laughs> I mean, what if it was for, like, Halloween or something? I Okay, Halloween. But, I mean, you got to fix it on November 1st. <laughs> well, it's, you know, listen, I, I, I can understand that. It's kind of like Movember, right? Like, I, I've never been a huge Movember guy. I look terrible with a mustache. But, you know, I'll do it for charity. And then the minute November 30th at 11.59 p.m. rolls around, that thing is gone instantaneously off my face. Uh, and we're getting way back in the rewind machine today, ladies and gentlemen, going all the way back to 1989. And the first match in what a lot of wrestling pundits call the greatest trilogy of matches in wrestling history. And we're going to do it a little bit differently because we are going to watch the match. We're going to do a watch along here on the podcast. Uh, When we get to it later, if you want to get things set up, uh, get your WWE Network loaded up and be ready to go. And we will give you all the particulars on how to Join us along in watching the WCW Chi-Town Rumble from 1989. But before we do that, I think we've got some dark match action that we need to get to. 
That's right. Uh, let's look at uh, this week's dark matches. Uh, New Japan having some injury issues at the top of cards uh, on the road to Castle Attack after Hiromu Takahashi was removed from cards earlier in this tour due to a left shoulder injury. Tetsuya Naito has suffered a knee injury and has been removed from this past Monday's Road 2 show. Naito is scheduled to face Kota Ibushi for the IWGP Intercontinental title on night two of Castle Attack. That's coming up this coming Sunday. Injuries may continue to be a concern for uh, New Japan as it has held 24 events in the past 51, or sorry, in the first 51 days of 2021. And they have 40 more events scheduled over the next 73 days. So they are running really a more normal schedule in the pandemic than any other company that I'm aware of. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much of this is them trying to get back to some sense of normal promoting and how much of this is them trying to recover lost revenue from 2020. I mean, again, this is, and this is something you're seeing, not just in wrestling, but you're seeing it in a lot of other sports as well. Uh, And I think of baseball, especially Uh, a lot of concern there about guys who played, you know, less than half a season trying to ramp it up and play, you know, a hundred extra games this year. Uh, are they, are we kind of having the same thing? You know, you got AEW and WWE, which are, are, are they're still not running any house shows. I mean, AEW is doing their, you know, their, their dark and dynamite every week. WWE's doing their one show and their pay-per-views. I mean, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, if these guys are going to have run in the first four months of the year, uh, over 60 shows, man, that, that is a recipe for, for danger as far as I'm concerned. Well, especially considering January is usually an off month for new Japan after wrestle kingdom and uh, the new year's dash, because they run the fantastic, fantastic mania tour, which is mostly guys from Mexico and AAA that come over to Japan to do uh, a week or two worth of shows from Cork and Hall. And they weren't able to do that this year because of the pandemic. And they filled those shows up with road two shows and this new castle attack supercard. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see because NJPW does have, while they have a lot of younger people, the top of the card is people with a lot of miles on them. AEW has announced its main event for its Revolution pay-per-view coming up on March 7th. It will be Kenny Omega facing John Moxley in an explosive barbed wire match. This being the first one in North American pay-per-view after being popularized in Japan on the smaller stage indies. I mean, here's the thing. I'm pretty on the record that I'm not a huge fan of these quote-unquote, more hardcore sort of matches. And I completely understand AEW's thinking that, hey, we're going to be the edgier, more adult, more hardcore sort of brand. They've seen in recent weeks and months WWE pushing the envelope a little more than usual with the adult-themed content. Um, I Geez, they had a they had a fireball to the face there a few months ago. I mean, it's been years since we've seen one of those. 
But uh, I, I don't know. Like, again, this doesn't do it for, for me. This doesn't add anything to the Moxley Omega story for me. Now, again, you know, I, we'll see what March 7th looks like, how it's how it's booked, how it goes down. Um, you know, again, I think this is something that would have been better maybe as a pre-recorded thing, but obviously with, with fans there, they're going to, they're going to have to do it live. Right. So I, I just, again, th- to me, I'm one of those, I don't know, it, it, like some people will say wimpier sort of wrestling fans. I don't think you need to go to a crazy dangerous gimmick match to have a blow off in a feud, but maybe that's just me. Um, going back to the taped versus live, it could be taped. Yeah. Because uh, the Jags, like the NFL season's over and they have that entire football field. Yeah. So you could record it beforehand there and show it on the screen. I just, but do you really want to have your main event recorded? That's like that's, that's the other side of that, right? Like that, so that's why I'm, I'm leaning towards this being live. Like I could understand like if it was a semi main or like a kickoff match, but you have to assume that that Moxley and Omega is going to be the main event. Um, the, the, I think that would be a pretty safe bet, yeah. but who, who, again, who knows? AEW has shown a, a, a desire to do things unconventionally. So, yeah. And we have to believe that the sting uh, street fight is going to be pre-recorded. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. So we'll see what happens there. That's once again coming up on March seventh, and finally we'll take a look at WWE news. It's looking to add yet another brand to the portfolio as they have taped a pilot for a show called NXT Evolve. The show being run by Jeremy Borash and Gabe Sapolsky. It's not a done deal yet past the pilot, and it would be used for developmental talent not ready for NXT. Evolve was an outside uh, promotion put together by Gabe Sapolsky that was bought by WWE, including the name and the tape library. I'm not particularly interested in a developmental developmental show. Uh, like this, This would be something that would probably be equivalent to like 205 live for me. Like if I was really Jones and person wrestling and it was on. Um, but again, like if it was, if there's going to be a good amount of crossover with NXT and by, by the sounds of the reports, that's not going to be the case. Um, this is probably going to be like, you'll have to be like a pretty niche wrestling fan to, to want to watch this on a regular basis. And it looks as if like some of the evolved guys that have not been signed yet, like the guys that were good have all been signed. And the guys that have not, like J.D. Drake was the, one of their champions and is on a dark match on dark this this coming Wednesday or this coming Tuesday night for AEW. So it's hard to say who's going to be on there. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the developmental developmental um, idea as well. I think that's what the Florida loops used to do but they can't do that anymore and they need these guys to get reps so you might as well tape it and put it on tv you're going to do it out of the out of the performance center or the cwc anyway it's kind of a sunk cost so you may as well give it a go well Those are your oh go uh, ahead i just want to say and, and, and i think the whole reason why this is a thing is because you look at the trajectory that 
NXT has taken. I mean, NXT was the developmental brand, right? <laughs> but now you have all the star power that's there, you know, with, 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 you know, and then you have guys coming back like Finn Balor, for example, uh, and all the other guys that have come back down. I mean, again, NXT now being elevated to essentially the third brand and, you know, being as popular as it is, you know, it kind of outgrew the idea of being a developmental. So now you need to have another developmental because WWE has all these guys signed. And like you said, if you're going to tape matches and put them in the ring, you might as well put it on the network. And, and, and if 50 people watch it, well, oh, well, these people need to get their reps in anyway. Well, then it's not even just on the network, like internationally, that could be, that's another hour of content that can be sold. And WWE is becoming a television company, not a wrestling company, which could maybe a problem as we get into talking some WCW. But once again, once again, those are your dark matches for this week. If news breaks, uh, we will do a rewind rebound and you'll find it here on this podcast feed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why you are here today, we are covering the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It is the WCW Chi-Town Rumble 1989. It took place 32 years ago, yesterday as we're recording this, but February 20th. 1989 from Chicago, Illinois. The attendance right around 8,000. And as I said earlier, this is the first match in what a lot of people regard to be one of the greatest trilogies in wrestling history, which in fact was a quadrilogy, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Ric Flair put out a tweet yesterday as we taped this. Uh, wishing Ricky Steamboat a happy 41st anniversary of their match from 1989. <laughs> Listen, I, I think it's pretty clear that Ric Flair probably does his own social media sometimes. And, and like, like, I'm sure like he gets one of the, one of the kids or his wife to like, you know, maybe type it for him. But Hey, I mean, listen, we can't all do that kind of sort of mental math right away. Right. It's just, well, I'm it's true. And I mean, he's got a lot on his mind. He's got a new baby on the way. Oh, uh, listen, let's <laughs> We talked about that a few weeks ago. I love where that storyline is going. He's going to be, he's going to be, uh... listen, the only way that they could make this storyline any worse is if he comes back and like somehow they, they wrangle him into a world championship match to try to make him the 17 time so that he can win another one for his new child. I'm just saying. Like I could see that being a plausible scenario, but th- th- this is what this is the the current day Ric Flair is not the Ric Flair we want to remember. The Ric Flair we want to remember is 1989 NWA Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And going back talking about Flair and Steamboat, why their matches were so good is this was not the first time these two have met. These guys trained together when they were coming up. And then had a great series of matches for the United States title back in 1977, 78, and 79. So these guys were married for a very long time. I think, so before we get into this too far, I mean, when you really sit down and think about it, 
Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Two guys with maybe the best in-ring chemistry of all time. You look at the body of work that these two guys have put together in the late 70s. Uh, you look at what they did here for, you know, three months in early 1989. I mean, these guys just, you put these two in the ring and the, it was magic every single time. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. So how did we oh, get but, here? Well, that's what I was going to say. How did we get to this point? Well, uh, we're, Steamboat had been in the old NWA Mid-Atlantic for a while left. Went to WWF at the time, and that's when he became um, the Dragon, because he hadn't been the Dragon before. Ricky Steamboat is the guy that should have kept his real name for his wrestling name. Do you know what Ricky Steamboat's real name is? I do not. Richard Blood. Oh, no, so much better. Yeah, exactly. I, he should have kept it. But anyway... Uh, he comes over to uh, WWF, becomes the Dragon, has that amazing match at WrestleMania 3 with Randy Macho Man Savage. Yep. But after WrestleMania 3, Steamboat wants some time off. Uh, I believe Richie was born, Little Dragon was born around that time. Yeah, about, about a couple of months later, he, he was looking for some time off to spend some time with his pregnant wife, which, you know, completely understandable, but... When you just had the intercontinental strap put on you, which, again, we all know at that time was way more important than it is now. Yes. You know, you could, you could maybe sort of understand why Vince was a, a little bit ticked off. Exactly. Turns out uh, they were wanted him to drop the title to Bush Reed, who didn't show up that day. So they looked around and gave it to the honky tonk man. Ooh. Hey, wait a minute. What a second banana there. Yeah, exactly. Imagine just standing around drinking a cup of coffee and going, hey, why don't you be Intercontinental Champion? Well, and again, right, you know, the Intercontinental title was, was so important in those days. You know, obviously, you know, this was the era like when Hogan was the guy for all those years. And, you know, the Intercontinental title had a very important place on TV, on house shows, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, it falls into the hands of the honky tonk man. Uh, speaking of Butch Reed, uh, passed away a few weeks ago, uh, February 5th to be exact. Uh, you know, again, had one of those chances here where according to the reporting at the time, uh, they had pegged him to, to, to take the belt. Uh, and he just. Just didn't show up and and you know one man's mistake is the honky tonk man's treasure because whew, what a memorable IC title run the honky tonk man had. Uh when I think of Butch Reed, I don't think WWF, I do think WCW yeah. in the tag team with Doom with Ron Simmons as Doom. Yeah. Uh that was really for me was his on the national stage, his big uh his big part. Uh, being off uh, Ricky uh, Steamboat off TV until around Survivor Series, he came back. Might have been some bitterness from management. He didn't get a push after his return. Steamboat says he thinks he was being punished for showing up Hogan Andre. I don't know about that. I might have had something to do with more of the I want to take time off after winning this title thing. But yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You and I are both, you know, more hardcore wrestling fans. 
So when when you say if we're playing word association and you say WrestleMania three, there's a 50-50 chance we're gonna say Hogan Andre and a 50-50 chance we might say Savage and Steamboat. Yeah, so the more the ca- yeah, so the more casual wrestling fan, they're gonna say Hogan Andre 99.9% of the time. Because again, that's what people remember. Hogan body slamming Andre in front of all those people. Like again, that's what people remember. But Again, I have a shirt that has the WrestleMania poster from of Savage and Steamboat, and I, I am still of the belief that that is one of the greatest matches of all time, easily the greatest Intercontinental match of all time. And but again, like to say, well, it's because we showed them up. But I mean, if you look at what WWF was at the time as a product, it was all about the big spots and all about Hulk Hogan. You didn't show anybody up. Yes, you had a better wrestling match. But again, when you get to the main event and what happened with Hogan and Andre, like it wasn't showing it up. It was the fact that they put this title on you and right or wrong, you asked for time off to be with your wife. And, you know, you came back six, seven months later uh, and you know, that was probably the reason. Um, so just after that, they had a WWF title tournament where, uh, Ricky Steamboat actually cut a promo backstage where he would have faced Randy Savage in the second round if they were both victorious. Um, you know, hearkening back to the WrestleMania three match. Uh, unfortunately Steamboat loses in the first round, which again, makes that promo look really weird. Uh, and then he left WWF. A strange, strange exodus here for the, for the Dragon. We don't see Steamboat again until January 21st. It's an edition of World Championship Wrestling, which later on would be called WCW Saturday Night. After his retirement, he was a surprise tag team partner of Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert against Flair and Wyndham. Uh, that was actually something that was... Um, used later on again as Steamboat came back to WCW after his next WWF run as the mystery partner for Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how this all goes down because, like you said, this is the January 21st edition of World Championship Wrestling. The match we're talking about took place a month later on February 20th. And this entire trilogy is concluded on May 7th. So all of this, Ricky's debut in in NWA slash WCW, all the way up to the end of this trilogy, took less than four months, which is completely unthinkable in terms of current wrestling terms. I mean, the guy comes in, he's immediately anointed, you know, the number one contender. So... Uh, Steamboat pins Flair in the tag team match to pick up the win for him and Eddie Gilbert. And his reward, well, was an NWA championship title match at the Chi-Town Rumble against Ric Flair. Again, quick, snappy booking, something you would never see in, in current times. Let's go off on a bit of a side jag just for a second because we're, we're interchangingly using the, we're using the acronyms NWA and WCW. And I think they're, for people who maybe... We're not because we got to remember WCW has been out of business now for 20 years. Yeah. So the NWA is the National Wrestling Alliance. It has been around 
depending on who you talk to, since 1906. It is not, it has been a governing body for other promotions. They were put together in an alliance um, that recognized one world champion and one tag team champions. And then the promotions that were under the NWA, like Toronto was an NWA town for a long time. San Francisco, I think may have been, but they were the top governing body. And then WCW was the old mid Atlantic territory changing to WCW when Ted Turner bought it. What then occurred is that all of the other territories under the NWA either went out of business, stopped promoting, however it happened. So it really came down to the only member of the NWA was WCW, but they were not the same. This would come into play later on when Flair leaves WCW goes to the WWF with the big gold belt where WCW strips him of the title, but the NWA such as it was keeps him as world champion. So while they're used interchangeably, um, they're not necessarily the same at this point. WCW was a promotion under the auspices of the NWA. Right. Yeah, it it gets a really, not confusing, but there's a lot of different layers to the NWA, WCW alliance, and the other territories that were still uh, around at the time. And, And I think this period, especially the late 80s, is where things really start to get murky if you're a more casual wrestling fan. Or even if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, it can still get quite confusing. Um, because at this point, WWF is this big, giant national machine. And, you know, they, they brought in all the guys that they wanted from AWA. And, you know, it, so you had this, the, the landscape was kind of in a lot of flux. And there was a lot of heat, you know, between New York and Atlanta, especially. Um, but yeah, you, you still had these different kind of wrinkles where you still have things being referred to as the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which doesn't last for much longer, I don't think, after this. Um, but yeah, there is definitely some some various layers. Uh, and I mean, NWA is, is still around now. Um, you know, they, they had a... I really enjoyed, I think I mentioned this a few shows ago, I really enjoyed their episodes of NWA Power and the old school feel I really hope that I don't think they're back to filming anything yet. No, I don't believe so. Uh, But I was enjoying uh, what they were doing. They were quick one hour shows, old school feel. Uh, You know, I enjoyed what they were doing. They had some good characters down there that were uh, putting on some good content. Um, But yeah, NWA still around. The, The 10 pounds of gold is still still around today. Serena Deeb is recognized as the NWA world heavyweight champion on AEW television. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there there is a little bit of crossover there. Uh, And I think that's something that in this newer um, sort of wrestling world we're living in now, where AEW is willing to work with other promotions. I mean, you know, is this something where you you might see uh, 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 Nick Aldis on, on, 
dynamite at some point could happen for sure you, you know maybe somewhere down the line like again it's hard to say but you know we've talked a few times now about how the forbidden doors have have started to open so it's a possibility well um, and, but, and just oh, and just re- I'll just remember a little over a year ago before this pandemic started the NWA championship was defended in Moncton New Brunswick when right. Nick Aldis faced Marcus Burke at Casino New Brunswick for one of their big cards so like he Aldis is a traveling champion he is, yes. Well, and I think, you know, it's all for them, for NWA, especially, you know, being a, a YouTube show and, and when they were going pre-pandemic in you know, modest crowds, um, you know, they were putting on some pay-per-view events on a monthly basis. Um, you know, it's uh, it's trying to spread the word. And like I said, the pandemic has absolutely ravaged whatever momentum they have. Again, you mentioned about Serena Deeb, uh, you know, being on, on Dynamite, and at least that gets the NWA name out there. Uh, periodically, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, in a, in a post-pandemic world, how NWA comes back. Um, but in this situation, uh, we've got Flair and Steamboat. It's the Chi Town Rumble. So again, as we mentioned earlier, we are going to watch this match live on the podcast. If you want to follow along, go to the WWE Network, uh, search for WCW Chi Town Rumble 1989, and we are starting. At one hour, 58 minutes, 23 seconds. If you go below the video, it has the little jump twos. The second to last one will bring you to 158.23, which is where we are going to pick it up. Uh, So, Chris, are you ready? I am ready to go. You've got your audio turned down. My audio is off, yes. Oh, my audio is off as well. Um. So we are going to give it a start in three, two, one, play. So picks it up with the wonderful lighting system that they have here in Chicago. Steamboat's already in the ring. You you love to see that. Uh, And he actually did not have a a pay-per-view entrance. They went right from the promo hype video to Nature Boy Ric Flair's entrance and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's in the ring. I love, now I love Flair here avoiding being touched by people with the disgusted look on his face. Uh, so Chris, maybe you can answer this question for me while he's coming down the ring. Explain to me why he's coming out to the ring with Hiro Matsuda as his manager. Uh, Hiro Matsuda is taking the place of J.J. Dillon because J.J. has left WCW. He has gone over to WWE in an off-camera position. Uh, Tully and Arn are gone at this point. Yeah. So the horsemen have in storyline been sold to, uh, I can't remember the name of the company they use, but it's representative is hero Matsuda. So he's okay. playing, he's the manager, uh, the JJ Dillon of this version of the horsemen. You got flair here really playing up the world champions gimmick. Uh, with the roses and all the women at ringside refusing to let the referee let him in the ring. Uh, and here we've got, uh, if, if you're watching at home, you've got the volume turned up. We have good old Jim Ross on the call here alongside someone that a lot of people will refer to could have been a much better in-ring talent, but injuries cut his career pretty short. 
Uh, Magnum TA, who I think was an underrated color guy. Oh, definitely. Uh, Terry Allen was a future world champion. Yeah. 100%. Like, probably within a month or two of his accident. Yeah. And like I said, he, you know, he did stick around as a color guy, did a great job. Uh, obviously, JR going to carry the lion's share here because I think this is one of those eras where uh, that was kind of, you know, WCW style was the, the, the main guy, the play-by-play guy carried a little bit more than you saw in WWF. But obviously, WWF had Bobby the Brain as a, as a color guy. So, you know, he, he kind of carried himself a little better. And there you've got the big gold belt. And the bell rings, and here we go. Flair and Steamboat. I love Flair's hair in this era. That was oh, better, yeah, that's, be- better that's, hair, Flair. Well, listen, that's 80s, like, rock star, or movie star right there. Yeah. Now, we're well, not going oh, go to see a lot of punching. We're not going to see a lot of kicks. This is going to be a technical back-and-forth wrestling match. Steamboat yep. drops down, gets the two-count, gets Flair to jump up. Because the the mindset of these two guys is to tell the story of an athletic contest. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, you know, if you're a more quote unquote modern wrestling fan, and I think that even applies to like, let's say you only started picking up wrestling during the attitude era, you know, flair doesn't get enough credit with the, with the younger generation crowd on how good he was in the ring. Not necessarily like athletics wise, but the way he would sell and and tell stories with his with his look and his and his mannerisms was just it was a masterclass in how to be a a wrestling heel. Yeah, for sure. I don't get the Bret Hart um problems with Ric Flair in ring. Brett's big thing is, oh, well, Flair did the same match everywhere, every night. And mm. you know what? I think all of, like, Bret Hart had five moves of doom, right? Yeah. As they start to show some uh, some of the old Chicago Bears in yep. the crowd. But I also think you're in an era, let, let's assume for a second that, that Brett's onto something. Like, in the 80s, I mean... They're just the match wasn't as spread and wasn't as popular. Like, you know, Ric Flair could do the same match, you know, 10 times in the span of four months with the same opponent, but you'd only see it once. So, to again, it's fresh is in the audience's eyes, right? And again, you look at what, what he and Steamboat are about to do here and what they're about to do over the next few months again this is one of those things that I just don't understand about Bret Hart where, you know, like how many five-star matches has Bret Hart ever had? Like when you really think about it, a couple, like maybe a handful, if you're being generous. Yeah. Like, you know, I think of him and Owen kicking off, uh, WrestleMania. Um, but like, you know, again, I, I don't understand that being the reason why you call it Ric Flair's in-ring work because, you watch what we're about to watch here. You know, it's all about making the crowd ha- hate you and putting Ricky the Dragon Steamboat over. Those yeah. and Flair did that better than anybody. And these two are not 
in a blood feud. These two don't hate each other. This is an athletic contest to see who's the better wrestler. And like we talked about earlier, I mean, you had less, you had a month to build it. Yeah. You had a, you had a tag team match four weeks ago where Ricky debuts, pins the champion in a tag team match. And then four weeks later, here you are, you know, on pay-per-view with the world title on the line. So it's like, you know, what, what sort of, you have, you have very little build. So the way you're going to make the crowd connect is you're going to have to have a great match. You're going to have to make the crowd care. Referee Tommy Young in there. I am not a huge Tommy Young fan as a referee. Yeah. Um, He wasn't one of my favorites either. I know Jim Ross sings his praises several times over the course of this match, but I just, you're going to see a few instances here later on and I'll, and I'll pick them out. I, I, I wasn't a fan of Tom Young's positioning. I, I think I just felt like I think he makes it too much about himself. Yeah. Like a referee you shouldn't know, you shouldn't have to notice the referee. Yeah. You're going to see some circumstances here later when uh and well like I said we'll talk about them when they come up, but let's we'll put a pin in that because there are some really good instances later on that that make me dislike the referee work of this match in particular. Um so you see we're on the mat here, we've got some Side headlock action, Steamboat trying to wear down Flair. The one thing I always loved about anything that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat did in terms of top-tier matches was that the pacing is so good. Like, he'll come out, like, on fire, and then he'll slow it down, grind it out for a bit, and then turn it back up to an 11. And then, you know, like, it just, it was so, it was so well-scripted in terms of the timing of the match and, and when you go crazy and when you kind of rest it out, and, but it didn't feel like, Oh, these guys are taking a breather. So you see, we're back into some aggressive action here now. Some chops. Those like, is there, are there two guys ever that had, Oh, those double chops uh, who had better chops than flare and steamboat. Probably not. I don't think so. So flares bailing. <laughs> He's had Taking enough. A walk. I like how JR refers to him as the tanned Ric Flair. <laughs> if you have the commentary on. Again, this is this is this, now to me, now I we I did call out last week some of the crazy things that JR said. JR was was right on the ball in this match. I thought he again, as good JR does, he when he is on and and you know he adds so much to the match when JR is, is on a good streak. Yeah. Like this past Wednesday, or as we take this, this past Wednesday night on Dynamite, he referred to John Moxley as WWE champion. Yeah. Like, you can't. that. Like, it's just stuff like that you're kind of... Uh, I've said many times on various formats, I really think that JR's commentary life is behind him now. I mean, he's still a name. Expo's hat in the crowd, by I the way. Just, I was just about to mention the the Expo's hat. I saw him earlier, and I didn't get a good look at the logo, but I was pretty sure it was an Expo's hat. I'm a firm believer that JR adds absolutely nothing to the Dynamite commentary desk. I think Shivani and Excalibur uh, w- w- would be more than capable of handling it themselves. Um, 
again, I just I don't think Jr. adds anything, and if anything, he's a detriment to the commentary. And I mean, again, that's uh, how do you say that because he's a legend, right? He's a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. One of the greatest of all time. But at, like, somebody's got to tell him exactly. that it's maybe time to hang it up. Flare, flare flop to the floor. And uh, one thing to point out as well is in the NWA, um, over the top rope is considered an instant disqualification if you are propelled over the fl- over the top rope. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, you see Steamboat thinking about jumping to the outside there, but no, sir. No. Now some slow, methodical action here. <laughs> We're going to hit uh, Greco, was a Greco Roman knuckle lock or test yeah. of strength. But you see the look on Flair's face again, right? It's, it's so intense and, and he's into it and he knows. He knows, right? Like, again, it's, it's those little things about Flair in this era that made such a difference. There's a reason why he was, has been a world champion of a promotion 16 times. And, and in these eras, you know, he carried the belt for for so long, right? I think at this point, he's had the belt for over almost a year um, after he won it back from Ronnie Garvin. So, you know, promotions trusted him. He could put people over because it's the little things that made him just so much better than everybody else. But now we see the dragon kind of Again, picking things back up for a second, a little burst of excitement, and then back into the old side headlock. Arm drag into a headlock. Uh, the Ricky, the arm dragon steamboat. Because his yep. he has the best arm drags I've ever seen. He's got listen, again, you know definitely didn't have a crazy long modern day, like TV day career. But again, you know, Steamboat, one of those guys, man, you, you could put him in the ring with anybody. He could wrestle a garbage bag to a five-star match if he wanted to. As long as that garbage bag had an arm that he could arm drag 50 times. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, Flair with the old elbows. And Ricky with Here's the chops job. back. Yeah. Again, they just, they move so fast. Again, that, that to me, I love, I love that. I love in an athletic way, just the intensity that they're doing everything in this match. There goes Flair over the top rope again. Not not propelled. He went over with uh, momentum. Wasn't propelled, so not a disqualification. And you see, look, the referee here. And again, there's an example of, like, does he need to be out on the apron right in the middle of the action, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing, I, I'm going to say this now, the one thing I wish we had done when watching this match, um, I'm going to drop a note to, and I think he listens sometimes too, to my buddy Tyson Dukes, because he, this is the type of match that he, Enjoys Tyson had a had a run in 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 WWE. He was in the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, I've met him. He when he was working here locally. He's a local boy. Um, 
this is the kind of match that he enjoys and he's doing some training in that right now. So uh, I know this would probably be, be, be one of the matches that he's showing his students. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is a masterclass in, you know, two guys with a similar body type, just telling a story with aggressive intensity. Yeah. I love the old school railing too. Yeah. You know, just did the- you notice the guy with the Afro and the notebook? I did not. Okay. Also, there's a guy in a, like a blue sweater with a notebook and an Afro. Maybe it's not blue. Maybe it's more like a teal in the front row. That is your boy, Dave Meltzer. Ah, yes. In the front row. Dangerous Dave. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about him here when we're done. Because, again, he... So Meltzer, one of the guys that that he really is the champion of the Flair Steamboat Greatest Trilogy of All Time train. Yeah. For sure, for sure. A little snapmare takedown there by Flair. Let's see, JR says he was pulling the knee pad down when he was clearly pulling the knee pad up. Holding him down, trying to get Ricky to uh, use some energy to kick out. Didn't think he was going to get a win there. Just wanted, oh, nice little butterfly coming here. Butterfly suplex. Something you didn't see Flair use a whole lot. No. Another move out of the arsenal that's not a chop. Oh. (sighs) Vicious chops. So again, you got another period of the match here where they're just kind of slowing things down a little bit, building back a little bit of energy. Oh, you can hear that one in 2021. Yeah, exactly. Steamboat giving it right back to him. Oh. Nope. Yeah, <laughs> not no doing thanks. it so there you go flare over the turnbuckle run over to the other side and oh, oh my god he hit it off the top rope he hits it into a oh, and a big two flare with the cross body one of the few times he actually hit something off the top rope yeah oh and here we go figure four in the middle of the ring not, oh, not quite the middle of the ring, but awful close. Right. Yeah. Okay, so this is one of those examples where I'm going to call, and again, maybe this isn't necessarily, okay, so this is maybe more poor camera work. Like, how does the referee not, like, he looks over. <laughs> so again, right, maybe that's a poor camera job. Because again, it, it seems like, the referee would very easily be able to see Flair holding the rope in the peripheral vision. I wasn't I was a, a fan of I the camera angle, maybe. You. I was about to agree with you till we went to the hard cam, and then yeah. I'm like, no, that's just bad positioning. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. just Tommy. Yeah, like. Another thing that may stick out to some people is going to happen here in a minute or two. So is Flair really grinding in the figure four here? Grabbing the rope. 
So see again, Steamboat's tapping, but, but there, at this time there was no tap. Tapping right. did not come into professional wrestling until the UFC started. That's right. So that's how they baby faces. Yep. That's how baby faces used to get their, you know, when they get uh, the crowd behind them was tapping the mat. Yep. The only way would be to in a figure four would be to to lay down for the one, two, three, or the old drop the arm three times. The classic one, two, no, he's coming back. Oh, then finally, oh, finally he sees it. I mean, again, I don't know. It's hard to say from that camera who, but again, that angle just wasn't a good look to me in terms of being believable that he didn't see it. This is the first time I've ever seen a referee blow his nose. (laughs) (laughs) Referee blows his nose in the middle of a match. (laughs) Could you imagine? Listen, okay. True or false? If that happened in WWF, that referee would be fired. Oh, immediately. <laughs> like somebody would come out and take his place as yeah. immediately. Immediate ref bump. Yeah. Oh. Uh, here we're gonna pick the speed back up a little bit. Oh. That was so well done. Yeah. I almost feel like Flair jumped a little too soon, but again, that's that is having trust in who you're dancing with, right? Yeah, exactly. Like that that is a move that can go so wrong, you know, to to propel both of you over the top rope like that. And you're it's basically Ricky catching Flair. And you know, again, that's just that's the trust that these guys had for one another, and it leads to such a better match. Ooh, right into the ring post. Exactly. Now these guys are going to go nowhere near that table because that table, uh, Chicago and Illinois was a commission state. So at ringside were members of the Illinois uh, boxing and wrestling commission. Um, so like as a, for real. Yeah. So they were at ringside for this. So these guys are going nowhere near that. Nope. And this is really a, before a time where you see a table at ringside, you're going to, somebody's going to use it, right? Yeah. Yep. We exactly. really don't, we really don't see that until real at the end of the last match in the trilogy when it's Ric Flair and Terry Funk. Yep. That's right. A couple of pins in there by Flair gets a couple of two counts. Again, like you mentioned to earlier, just trying to wear them down. Again, you think of the story going into this, right? I mean, you have Flair, the standard bearer of the NWA championship. I think at this point he had been a six or seven time champion. Yeah, see, we don't need the referee fight in the middle of this thing. No. Flair starting to get that smile on, getting a little bit more cocky. 
Yeah. So at this point, so Flair is in his sixth reign as NWA World Heavyweight Champion at this point. Okay, again, Tommy Young, his head literally, like, again, it's the cam. I think it's the camera shot, but he's focusing a lot on the shoulders. But, yeah. like, if his eyes are that bad that he can't see Flair up on the ropes from that point. He rolls him up! Oh! And you hear, you know, the, the thing I love about this is every time Steamboat does something like that, rolls him up, gets a little bit of offense, the crowd just gets on their feet and goes wild. Oh, Steamboat hits the mat. Like the crowd the is, rope. the crowd is so against Flair and so for Steamboat. Every time Steamboat does anything, half the crowd stands up and they just pop every time. Again, even there in that situation where he jumped up to the second rope before he missed the move, the crowd got real excited. Like, these guys are, again, it just, they're telling a story and the crowd is into this. His own little butterfly suplex. Yep. Rolls him over. Oh, but uh, see, this, that's where I have the issue. Because there's no way he saw that foot on the rope after what he missed earlier. Yeah. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, again, it's the 80s, right? You know, we yeah. we shouldn't be poking holes in the story like that. But because he was not looking anywhere near the ropes. Oh, here comes the backslide. Oh, and Flair gets out. Referee looks tired, like he's had enough. Back to the chops. Nice you little hear, clothesline. And again, if you're listening to the commentary there, JR, again, playing up the whole working class angle with steamboat right and and that was kind of something they went to the well with quite a bit with flair you know flair was the stuck up rich guy all the women all the clothes all the girls all the money and it was always you know working class baby face trying to take him down the family man that's right steamboat going up and oh the job we're gonna have to have a conversation but jim Cornette at some point yeah um but when he talked about this era, I'm in agreement with him a lot where they made Flair so cool with all the women, the money, the cars. Oh, and there's that ref bump. Yep. A bad um, one. Yeah. They made uh, Flair so cool and Ricky so not cool, like in comparison to Flair, that it kind of worked against Ricky for a long time. Yeah. And then this is one of those situations where you get, you don't see this a lot. The heel with a ref bump roll up. And there comes, ladies and gentlemen, holla, holla, holla. Teddy Long at ringside checking on the referee. Now there's Flair throwing Steamboat over the top rope, yep. which should have been a disqualification. Steamboat completely misses the splash. 
Flair looking for the the figure four again. Steve with the roll up Teddy Long in the ring. And there's the one, two, three. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is your new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. But there's some people, you'll see them, they're not celebrating yet because there's two referees in the ring. And yep. this is the era of the dusty finish. And now you'll see Flair come over here and watch this. Covers his mouth. Cole raises so, his hand. Yeah. 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 So you you see, so Flair obviously knowing that, you know, Tommy missed a spot or wasn't going to do it or something and goes over and tells, let's get over there and raise his hand. Yeah. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with a roll up. So here's the thing, and we'll, we'll kind of let this run out here as they show a replay. I wasn't a big fan of the finish. I mean, I kind of get it right again for the you know you know you 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 want to build that you know that story for the for the rematch. Obviously, you knew this was going to be a trilogy, um, but like. Ah, Something about that finish, I, I I wasn't a fan of. I don't know. No I don't know celebration. Was, yeah, I don't know if it was the the mist splash into the figure four, into the roll up. Like, I don't know. I, I, something about that finish just seemed off to me. And he he goes no celebration. The ring goes directly back into the dressing room. They have the celebration with the baby faces. If you're listening, you can tell. You can hear a bell ring. Because for the fans in the arena, that was not the main event. Yeah. They sent another match out, and it was a main event in any arena in the country. It was Kendall Windham ver Wyndham versus Steve Casey. Oh. And they, right. and they went 25 minutes. Oh, boys. So you because got according to Cornette, they sent them out there and forgot about them because they were doing everything with steamboat and, and all that. They forgot to send out the cue to go home. So these guys went and went, went, and yeah. finally somebody went, oops, give them the cue to go home. So these two went 25 minutes yeah. after flair and steamboat. So if you're still watching the, the WWE network video here, this is a hilariously brutal promo because Ricky just spends the whole time wiping champagne out of his eyes until finally somebody off camera will hand him a towel so that he could see he's just squinting the whole time like oh my god this was such a bad idea I'm covered in this stuff I can't see uh and he gives a you know the classic working man promo here I'm just glad to do it it was a great match you saw a couple of uh you know WCW uh lifers off camera there, including Lex Luger and uh, Rick Steiner, and a little bit of long-term booking here with Lex Luger uh, that we will get to in a minute. So, the aftermath of this, where did we go from here? Well, first of all, uh, I ask you this question, Chris. In your opinion, was that a five-star match? I, th I think so. I think so as well given again the you, you know you, you got to kind of separate anything that happened after like the 
late 90s out of your mind in terms of you got to look at this for what it was it was a great match they told an amazing story um so from here again a lot of people talk about the fact that this was a trilogy they would wrestle two more times on pay-per-view uh they would wrestle april 2nd at the clash of the champions six raging cajun in a two out of three falls match where steamboat would retain the NWA Heavyweight Championship, and then they would wrestle again on pay-per-view at Wrestle War 89 on May 7th, where Flair would regain the NWA World Heavyweight Championship and become a seven-time champion. Both of those matches, according to Dave Meltzer, all three of those matches, in fact, five-star matches. But I do want to I do want to correct one thing: uh, Clash of the Champions wasn't a pay-per-view. It was not. It was a, uh, one of the Saturday one of, night ones, wasn't it? Uh, TBS special. Yeah, th- yes. They ran them on Tuesday nights. Right. Uh, it was big enough to be a pay-per-view, but you are right. Yeah. Uh, it, that was just a reg- the regular old TV special. Yeah. But the one thing a lot of people forget about this trilogy is there's actually a fourth match. And according to Dave Meltzer, it was the best match out of all of them. It was, according to Mr. Meltzer... A six-star match between Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair, which occurred March 18th, 1989 in Landover, Maryland. Uh, Obviously, Ricky Steamboat retains the title there uh, because, you know, he was still the champion when they got to Clash of the Champions 6. But kind of weird that, and again, you know, maybe not so weird, but your best match is not considered part of the main trilogy? Well, it was a house show, so I don't. Is yeah. there video of it? Uh, there is actually video of it on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I do believe there is. I do see a couple of clips of them uh, from Landover, Maryland. Um, yeah, just crazy. According to what I'm reading here, it was a big show. Uh, apparently, again, it occurred March 18th, 1989, at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. It was an episode, uh, or it was a house show, but it was under the WCW uh, banner. Uh, Pretty good uh, card by the looks of it. Sting defeated Kendall Windham. Lex Luger defeated Barry Windham in a United States championship match. The Road Warriors defeated the Varsity Club in a tag team championship match. But the one that everybody talks about is the uh, the six-star, according to Dave Meltzer, main event, Ricky Steamboat against Ric Flair. But either way, whether you refer to it as three matches or four matches, um, this trilogy was just was insane. All of the matches were great. I definitely recommend you go out of your way to watch all three of the main ones at the very least. Um, so after uh, Flair regains the title, Wrestle War 89, uh, Steamboat remains the number one contender, a fact that in storyline did not sit well with U.S. champ Lex Luger, who had held the U.S. Championship for a little while, thought it was his turn to be number one guy. Well, what does Luger do? He attacks Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, turning heel, uh, which led to a match between Luger and Steamboat at the Great American Bash, which was won by Luger via disqualification. Steamboat did not wrestle in NWA WCW again during this run after a contract dispute. Flair went on to feud with Terry Funk, which eventually led to the reforming of the Sting-included version 
of the Four Horsemen. And that goes into a, yet another chapter of uh, the Four Horsemen. I did not know about I I didn't know about that Landover match. Yeah, it's a it's a hidden gem, as Dave Meltzer likes to call it. Again, it's one of those things, right, where you know when you're thinking about big trilogies, well, obviously you're going to assume that they're occurring either on flagship programming or pay per view, or you know. Again, like you alluded to, right? You know, you had Clash of the Champions, which was essentially a pay-per-view on on regular cable TV. Um, but yeah, you've got the six-star match from a house show, kind of, kind of burned in the middle here. And and you know that kind of goes against a lot of the things that that we know about traditional house shows. Like we know that in this era, both in WCW, NWA, and WC or and WWF, you know, they used to run their main programs on house shows, right? Help build the program, help, you know, get a little more chemistry for the guys in the ring. But they were almost always condensed versions of the matches on house shows. You know, if they planned on going 20 minutes on a pay-per-view, they would go eight to 10 minutes on a house show, tell the story, uh, give the fans something to see, you know, Hogan and, and, and whoever else was in main programs at the time. But, you know, they would save their quote-unquote better performances for when people had their dollars down. But again, according to Dave Meltzer, of course, that was not the case with Stainboat and Flair. So the main question remains, Chris, is this the greatest wrestling trilogy of all time? I think so. Because the only thing I would put it up against would be Michael's Undertaker, and that wasn't a trilogy. That was two matches. I believe. There's two two WrestleManias back-to-back. Right. So, when it comes... I mean, these days, there's trilogies happening every month. Usually involving Randy Orton. (laughs) This is true. But... These I these are the best collection again. We, and I think we talked about it this before. Any of these matches are matches you could show somebody who's not a wrestling fan and say, "This is what it is." Yeah, I think for me, I think it's probably number one. I would have a hard time finding a trilogy better unless I cheated the rules a little bit. Um, I think again, for me, I think other trilogies that are, uh, really good. I think if you look at the three TLC matches between the Hardys, the Dudleys and Edge and Christian from the early two thousands, I think that was an amazing trilogy for a different reason for the, the risks that they took and, and the intensity of those matches and the, and a lot of the hardcore innovation that we saw there, I think to, to, to go in your wheelhouse I think Omega and Okada in 2017 in New Japan, uh, amazing trilogy of matches. But if I if I was going to cheat the rules a little bit and build a custom trilogy to try to get close to Flair and Steamboat, I think if you take the three Austin Rock WrestleMania matches and put that as a trilogy, and again, you can't really because the circumstances of each one of those was very different. But again, that's that's kind of the, the rules you have to break to get close to how good Flair's Steamboat was in 1989. And again, such a quick, you know, introduction into this, right? 
He comes in in January. They wrestle in February, March, April, and May. And then Steamboat's there through the summer, and then he's gone. Yeah. So in the span of four months, you had the greatest trilogy in wrestling history. And then like a fart in the wind, you know, Steamboat is into a program with Lex Luger, and then he's gone. And we have this everlasting thankful thanks to you know the wonderful technology of today uh set of matches that are just so good and tell such a great story and like most things they end you know with with flair on top in the end and on to whatever came next which was maybe one of his most pivotal roles in the history of wcw which was making sting yeah and you know that's another another feud for another time but yeah, I think I have to agree. It's really hard to find a trilogy of matches better than this. Uh, listen, I think so too. And now listeners, why don't you tell us what you think? You can let us know on our Facebook page at Ringside Rewind. That's facebook.com slash Ringside Rewind. Also on Twitter, uh, you can check out the show at Ringside Rewind. I am at CD Lawrence. And I am at Snaggle J. Thank you guys so much. We're listening to the podcast. If you're listening at ringsiderewind.com or in your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS, we greatly appreciate you hanging out with us every second Wednesday. We've got some amazing, amazing ideas in the can. We thank you so much for being an early adopter of the podcast. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new, fresh episode. And until then, be kind and rewind.